Prabhupada, Prabhupada, Shila Prabhupada, Jaya Prabhupada, Jaya Prabhupada, Shila Prabhupada, Shila Prabhupada, Shila Prabhupada, Prabhupada, Shila Prabhupada, Pada, Shila Prabhupada, Prabhupada, Shila Prabhupada, Shita Prabhupada ki jai. Jayam Vishnu Pad Paramahamsa Parivakacharya Astadat Sashashishi Mad Abhai Charanarvinda Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada ki jai. Jayam Vishnu Pad Paramahamsa Parivakacharya Astradata Satasisi Majira Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Goswami Maharaj Prabhupada Ki Jai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gopakopinath Shyamakunda Radha Kundagiri Govardhan Ki Jai. Shri Vindavindam Ki Jai. Simaya Purdam Ki Jai. Tulasi Devi Bhakta Devi Ki Jai. Samaveda Bhakta Vindaki Jai. Si Harinam Sankirtana Ki Jai. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories, all glories to Siguru and Sigaranga. All glories to Siddha Prabhupada. Om Magyanati Mirandasya Ginajana Salakaya. Chaksuru umiditam yena tasmai sigadave namaha. Shi chaitanya manobistam stapitam yena bhutale. Swayam rukpakadamayam dadati swapadantikam. I offer my respectful obeisances unto my spiritual master, who has opened my eyes, which were blinded by the darkness of ignorance with the torchlight of knowledge. Shrinvatam Svakata Krishna Punya Shravana Kirtana Ridyanta Stohyabhadrani Vidhunoti Suhitratam Sri Krishna, the personality of Godhead, who is the Paramatma Supersoul in everyone's heart and the benefactor of the truthful devotee, cleanses desire for material enjoyment from the heart of the devotee who has developed the urge to hear his messages, which are in themselves virtuous when properly heard and chanted. Nasta prayeshu abhadreshu nicham bhagavata sevaya bhagavata yutamasloke bhaktir bhavati naishtiki by regularly hearing the Bhagavatam and rendering service unto the pure devotee, all that is troublesome to the heart is practically destroyed. And loving service unto the glorious Lord, who is praised with transcendental songs, is established as an irrevocable fact. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Bo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Te Vasudeva Readings from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 6, Chapter 18, Verse 47. Shikasyapa Uvacha Nahimshad Bhutta Jatani Nashapen Nanritam Vadet Nachindyan Naka Romani Nashprishad Yad Amangalam 
Gentlemen, your turn. Shri Kasya Pavacha Nahim Shad Bhutta Jatani Nasha Pinyan Nisham Vadet Nachinjan Naka Romani Naspi Shed Yadamangalam Shri Kasyapa Ubacha Nahim Syad Bhutta Jatani Nashapani Ramadet Nachinyan Nakaromani Naspi Sed Yad Amangalan Anyone else? Ladies? Sri Kasyapa Uvacha Nasina Bhutta Jarani Nasha Penandri Tambadet Nachinja Nakaromani Naspi Sed Yad Amangalam Somebody else? Sri Kasyapa Uvacha Nahim Shad Bhutta Jatani Nasha Pinanritam Vadet Nachinyan Nakaromani Nashpi Shedyagamangalam. Please repeat. Shri Kasyapa Uvacha. Kasyapa Muni said. Nahim Shad must not harm. Bhutajatani, the living entities. Nashapet must not curse. Na, not. Amritam, a lie. Vadet, must speak. Nachindyat, must not cut. Nakaromani, the nails and hair. Nasprishet, must not touch. Yat, that which, amangalam, impure. Translation, Kasyapamuni said, my dear wife, to follow this vow, do not be violent or cause harm to anyone. Do not curse anyone and do not speak lies. Do not cut your nails and hair and do not touch impure things like skulls and bones. Please repeat, Kasyapamuni said, my dear wife, to know this vow, to f this vow, do not be violent or cause harm to anyone. Do not curse anyone and do not speak lies. Do not cut your nails and hair. 
and do not touch impure things like skulls and bones. Purport by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Kasyapa Muni's first instruction to his wife was not to be envious. The general tendency of anyone within this material world is to be envious, and therefore, to become a Krishna conscious person, one must curb this tendency, as stated in Srimad Bhagavatam, Paramo Nirmatsaranam. A Krishna conscious person is always non envious, whereas others are always envious. Thus, Kasyapa Muni's instruction that his wife not be envious indicates that this is the first stage of advancement in Krishna consciousness. Kasyapa Muni desired to train his wife to be a Krishna conscious person, for this would suffice to protect both her and Indra. So it's really interesting to note that Diti's firstborn sons were demons, Hiranyakasipu and Hiranyaksha. And that the grandson of Hiranyakasipu was the pure devotee Vaishnava Prahlad Maharaj, who we glorify in song every morning after we sing the prayers to the spiritual master in Mangalarti. And the grandson of Prahlad Maharaj was Bali Maharaj, who was also a great Vaishnava. So we may ask ourselves, how is it possible that such persons having taken birth in a demoniac family could become a great devotee of the Lord? So Srila Prabhupada requested us to sing this and sing our prayers in the morning daily because in many ways the story of Prahlad Maharaj is also our story, who although we took birth in the families of demons, we became devotees of Krishna due to our having had the association of Srila Prabhupada, a pure devotee of the Lord who delivered the same message to us that Narada Muni, the spiritual master of Prahlad Maharaj, delivered to him thousands of years ago. So the, the, the same message we're getting from so long ago. So since thousands of years, this knowledge of how to receive the mercy of the Supreme Lord has come to us through an unbroken chain of pure teachers. And to the degree that we deliver purely the message of the Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya, to that degree, we are also directly linked up to Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So in the summary of this chapter, Sukadeva Goswami describes how Diti became angry and envious when during a battle between the demons and the demigods, Lord Vishnu stepped in and helped Indra by killing her firstborn sons, Hiranyakasipu and Hiranyaksha. And so because of her anger and her envy, she wanted to take revenge on Indra by having a son that could kill him. So in her effort to have such a son, she approached her husband Kasyapamuni and asked him to give her a son who could kill Indra. Now Kasyapamuni, he was a bit disgusted with his wife's desire to have a child just so he could kill someone. So he was also really intelligent 
to advise her to take shelter of Lord Vishnu through the process of devotional service as a means of fulfilling her desire. And if you read all the stories in the Bhagavatam, you're going to see how often a person who has a material desire, like Dhruva Maharaj, for example, he uh, is advised to approach the Supreme Lord to get his desire fulfilled, and on the way, he becomes so purified that he no longer has that material desire. It falls away, and he starts to see Krishna face to face. So the Supreme Personality of Godhead fulfills the material desires of a devotee who approaches him, but he does not bestow benedictions upon the devotee that will cause them to demand more benedictions again and again. However, the Lord willingly gives the devotee shelter at his lotus feet, even though such a person does not aspire for it, and that shelter satisfies all his desires. That is the Supreme Personality's special mercy. So in this verse, Kasyapa is instructing Diti how to become qualified to have her desires fulfilled. So he instructs her to vow not to be violent or cause harm to anyone or to curse anyone or speak lies. Basically, he's telling her to give up all activities that harm herself and harm other people. He's instructing her to practice something called ahimsa, which means to do no harm to oneself or others by giving up all harmful thoughts, actions, and words. And that would include speaking lies about others, such as gossip, something we all know so well. Ahimsa, doing no harm, is the basic religious practice of the people known as Jains, which is why they wear a mask over their mouth, not for COVID. I mean, nowadays people wear a mask, and, and maybe that's the same purpose, to keep mic microbes and bacteria from coming into the mouth or from breathing out. But for the same reason, Jains practice wearing a mask so they don't kill unnecessarily microscopic bugs. And, and they may um, also sweep the ground in front of them so that they won't kill innocent ants or other bugs as they walk. They're very conscious of not harming others. So in other words, Kasyapa was instructing Dita, Diti to give up all destructive behaviors of all kinds. He was telling her that instead of behaving in ways that harm herself and others, she should do the opposite. She should engage in behaviors that are helping helpful to others. And the most helpful thing anyone can do for another living being is to help them become free from needless suffering. So it's not uh, enough uh, to simply avoid harming others. We need to actually even be engaged in helping others by teaching them the pathway out of this world of suffering. That is true compassion. Now, Kasyapa instructed Diti to not cut her nails or hair or touch skulls or bones, which was really puzzling to me, I have to admit. When I was reading that, I thought, wow, why would that be important? And then I, I took shelter of Swami Google Maharaj, seeking his advice to see if I could get some insight why Kasyapa might have told her that. And what I found was that 
in some Hindu uh, traditions, not so much ISKCON, I don't, we don't practice those so much, don't, they don't cut their nails or hair on certain days like Saturdays and maybe Tuesdays because doing so is supposed to anger the planet Saturn, which brings a person bad luck. And uh, Kasyapa instructed Diti not to touch bones or skulls because they're considered to be unclean because they are what remains of the body after it has been cremated. Basically, he was instructing her to live a clean life, both internally and externally. And I know as a chaplain, uh, I often uh, in America take people to the crematory in the West. We, they, have, they don't have a Ganges or a place to take people to cremate, but they have a place. I, bet, I, I suspect Australia has the same thing, crematory. But so as part of the training for chaplains to get used to looking at their own death and immortality to see what happens to the body, I take them to a crematory to watch three bodies get cremated <laughs> while they faint in the background. And, um, and it's true, after the flesh and the water is all boiled out of the body, what you're left with is a skull and bones. And so Kashapa was instructing her not to connect herself or touch death, basically, because it's highly contaminating to the consciousness and the body. So uh, in his purport, Srila Prabhupada, he comments that Kasyapa Muni's first instruction to his wife was not to be envious, because generally everyone in this material world has the tendency to be envious. And so in order to purely practice devotional service, Kasyapa was telling Diti that she needed to give up this tendency of being envious. Now, envy of others is a symptom of being in a material consciousness. And most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we will admit that at times we have experienced ourselves being envious of others because we're mixed devotees. We're not pure devotees. And this means that although we have the desire to please the Lord with our service, we also have the desire to please ourselves in the process. We're simultaneously attracted to Krishna and we're also envious of him as well. It's a real conundrum. And because we want something from Krishna in exchange for our service, and it's almost impossible to free ourselves from this tendency. Some of us want economic stability. Some of us want knowledge. Some of us want physical beauty. Some of us want popularity. Some of us want fame. Some of us want profit. Some of us want distinction and to be admired by others. Some of us want love, some of us want friendship, and some of us want to be thought highly of by others. And Krishna says it is rare for a person to become free from this envy of Krishna. He says in Bhagavad Gita, Manushyanam sahasre shu kaschid yatati sidhaye yatatam api sidhanam kaschin mam veti tattvata. Out of many thousands among people, one may endeavor for perfection. And of those who have achieved perfection, hardly one knows me in truth. So this is our position. We are simultaneously attracted to and envious of Krishna and all others in his, as his parts and parcels. So some psychologists, they consider jealousy and envy to be the same emotional states because they carry the similar message 
We want what another person has, which typically happens when we compare ourselves to others. And underneath this comparison is a lack of trust that the Lord loves each one of us or is fair. We're doubting. Oh, Krishna may not give us a fair play. And this can lead us to discontent and discouragement and envy or jealousy of others. Envy can also be a symptom that we have forgotten the desires and choices we have made that brought us to our current situation. Now, sometimes it's, it's, it is that we see uh, what appears to be another person's good luck, or we think that a person has joined with a lucky star, you know, born with a lucky star, or they have some kind of mysterious good karma. But what we don't see is all the hard work and consistent sacrifices that a person has made to get them to where they are. Because nothing happens by chance. There's no accidents in this material world, even though we have this idea that there's an accident. Success happens by a person's repeatedly making choices in the right direction of their goal. They set a clear intention or target for their life, and they persistently move towards that goal. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, a spiritual master in our lineage, he wrote a poem, just this little excerpt that hit me. Forget the past that sleeps and ne'er the future dream at all, but act in times that are with thee and progress thee shall call. And what this means is that it, it is only in the present moment that we can act for a better future. So even if our current life situation is a mess right now, because of the choices that we made in the past, we have the freedom right now to make choices that will create for us a better future. We can't change the past. We can only change our future. Now, in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the word envy is defined as the painful or resentful awareness of an advantage or possession enjoyed by another and the desire to possess the same thing. Envy is the painful awareness of another person's possessions or advantages with the desire to have them for ourselves. Envy contains a mixture of anger, including hatred and fear. Envy is the result of perceiving another's advantages to be a threat to our own safety or position in life. And this is when envy becomes toxic, when we perceive another's advantage as a disadvantage to ourselves. Toxic envy is due to our ignorance of who we truly are as Satchitananda, eternal, joyful, wise, spiritual beings who are part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, who is Satchitananda and is full of these qualities, eternal wisdom and joy, or other no, otherwise known as bliss. That word bliss doesn't really translate in English well. Actually, that word is joy. When we are situated in our constitutional position as servants of the Lord, our envious tendency can become a reminder that whatever we think we want, that others may have, we also have access to. Because Krishna, the source of all wealth, all beauty, all fame, all strength, all knowledge, and all renunciation is in the core of our hearts as human potential. 
And when we remember this, then instead of envying others for having what we'd like to have, we can celebrate the gains and recognition of others even when we may think they don't deserve it. Because we realize that everything of value is within our reach. And if we truly desire and deserve it, which means to do what it takes to acquire it, then we can have it too. Now Prabhupada used to say, man proposes, God disposes, and first deserve, then desire. So it's not enough to engage in wishful thinking to make things happen in our lives. We have to translate those desires into action. When we ignore the message underneath our envy that another's successes is a threat to our own false security or false sense of safety, then our hearts become hardened against that person for having achieved something we desire for ourselves. And then we attempt to bolster our self-respect and security by denouncing that person and trying to grab all the recognition and resources for ourselves. <clears throat> when we feel envious of others, it's actually a symptom that we have a low sense of self-worth. And we have undernourished our relationship with the Lord in our own hearts. So the first step in freeing ourselves from envy is to acknowledge that when we have a solid relationship with the Lord, everything is possible. When we have Krishna, we have everything because he is the source of all opulence. So although a devotee of Krishna is not interested in being materially successful, they are eager to do something to assist Krishna in relieving human suffering in this material world. So instead of being envious and causing obstacles for a devotee who's progressing nicely in their devotional life, we can be inspired by them and think how to assist them in their service. We can also use our envy of another devotee to inspire us to increase our progress on the spiritual path. We can follow their example because we think they have a better idea, and then it's no longer envy. It turns into something else. It becomes purified. Actually, Sita Prabhupada said, the only emotion we cannot use for Krishna is envy, but we can spiritualize our envy by using it to inspire us to increase our personal endeavors for spiritual life. So there are three ways we envy Krishna. Striving to be the only controller, striving to be the only enjoyer, and striving to be the friend of everyone. Now, we may be able to have a little control over our immediate environment or our lives, but we all have the experience that no matter how many plans we make, with all good intentions, it just, just takes one unexpected twist of fate, and all those plans get shattered. We've all got that experience. Despite all our well-thought-out plans and the ultimate issue, we really have no control. It is only by Krishna's grace that any of our plans actually come to fruition. We're kind of like bugs on the back of a bear, if you can imagine thinking that we're the center of our little universes. When the bear stands up and starts to shake his back, these little fleas, us, we are thrown out of our little secure situation, and there's nothing we can do about it. And that is why it's a good idea when we make our big plans to remember that God willing, they will happen, because so much of our lives is truly dependent on God's allowing us to do something. God willing, it will be so. Secondly, we are mostly striving to be the central enjoyer. 
Most of our efforts are focused on acquiring what gives us the most material enjoyment, first and foremost. Our mind is always telling us, I like this or I don't like that, accepting and rejecting this or that based on what gives us the most pleasure or comfort. This is how the mind works, accepting and rejecting something based on whether it gives us enjoyment. And of course, as individuals, each of us has a particular mood or taste in our devotional life, and that needs to be honored also. But generally, it is important to be aware and to acknowledge how often our choices are based on our desire to get the most enjoyment out of our lives, and how that aspiration can prevent us from achieving the highest satisfaction, which is unconditional love for Krishna. And finally, most of us strive to be the friend of everyone. We want to be liked. We want to belong. And often it is at the expense, our desire to belong and to be a friend of everyone is at the expense of our relationship with Krishna. We may compromise on our devotional activities to get along with others whose goal in life may not be unconditional love for God. So now, now, often it can be challenging to see why our endeavor to be the friend of everyone is a symptom of our envy of Krishna. Why would that be a problem? Well, I mean, everybody wants to be friendly and to be a friend of everyone. But if we actually reflect on this notion, we will see how impossible it is for us to be everyone's true friend because we cannot fully be available to everyone all the time. We are conditioned souls with human limitations. And it's impossible for us to know what's truly going on inside another person's heart and mind, even if we externally have a close relationship with them. Often, people who live in the same family are the last people to really know their children or their spouses. Because often, people don't share what's in their hearts with the people closest to them. But because Krishna is within everyone's heart and in every atom, he knows exactly what's going on within our hearts and minds. And he's with us all the time. And he's always available to us. And this is why he is our very best friend. He is always available to us in the sound of his holy name to comfort us and to guide us. There's no better friend than Lord Krishna. So back to this story that we started with uh, about Aditi. We learned in this chapter that Indra understood that Diti's purpose in practicing devotional service was to kill him. And so he began watching her every move, hoping to catch her making a mistake and following all the rules and rituals of her religious practice. Indra understood that if Diti made any mistakes in her religious practice, she would not attract a son who could kill him. And so typical of any conditioned soul who is on the defensive due to their envy of another, Indra's reason for finding fault in Diti was due to his desire to, to defend himself from being killed by her son. And after looking really long and hard for mistakes, Indra did find one little mistake in Diti's devotional practice. And so somehow he was able to enter her womb and cut her son into 49 parts, which became known as the 49 kinds of air, otherwise known as the Meruts. And Indra felt, Indra felt really satisfied thinking now he was satisfied from danger, safe from danger because he had cut Diti's son into pieces. But what he didn't know was that because of Diti's solid performance of devotional service, 
all of her 49 sons became Vaishnavas, which meant they were no longer a danger to Indra after all. Diti's vow to have a son that could kill Indra became a blessing to Indra because her sacrifice purified her heart so much that her sons became Vaishnavas, even though she was a demon, and no longer they no longer wanted to kill Indra. Srila Prabhupada's last sentence in his commentary on this verse was that Kasyapa Muni desired to train his wife to be Krishna conscious, a Krishna conscious person, for this would suffice to protect both her and Indra. And in this way, Kasyapa Muni redeemed Indra's vicious act of cutting Diti's son into 49 pieces. And it saved Diti from being responsible for killing a demigod and the king of the heavenly planets. So Kasyapa Muni, he knew this right at the beginning. This was a trick kind of for him. Uh, you know, he, he's so amazing uh, that he, uh, he understood that if I can get her to practice devotional life, it, somehow the danger would come out right. And so Krishna is so amazing that only he can figure out how to make such a win-win solution to an uh, apparently unsolvable problem. We see him doing this in the story of Hirangikasipu, who got Brahma to agree for him not to die on the land or in the air by a man or an animal in the daytime or the nighttime. And because of this, Hirangikasipu thought he had become immortal and safe from all harm. But Krishna outsmarted him by incarnating as Lord Nishingadev out of a pillar as a half-man, half-lion, who appeared not as a man or an animal, but a half-man, half-lion. He appeared at twilight, not daytime, not nighttime. And because Lord Nishingadev put Hirangikasipu on his lap, he did not die on the land or in the air. So Krishna consciousness means to realize that Krishna is not only within the core of our hearts, but he is in the hearts of all living beings. And this includes animals and plants. Vijavinaya sampane brahmane kave hastini suni chayava swapakecha pandita samadarshina. The humble sage, by virtue of true knowledge, sees with equal vision a learned and gentle brahmana, a cow, an elephant, a dog, and a dog eater or outcast. This means that a true devotee actually treats other living beings with the same respect that they would give the Supreme Lord. We worship the deity in the temple to learn how to treat others who are also temples of the Lord, who resides in everyone's heart. Our bodies are a temple of Krishna. A Krishna conscious person does not make any distinction between species or social classes, races, ethnicities, cultures or genders. They offer everyone the respect they deserve because they understand that the Lord is within them as super soul. A Brahmana priest or a homeless person with mental illness or a prisoner may be different from the social point of view, but these differences of body are meaningless from the viewpoint of a learned transcendentalist. Because to a learned person, Everyone has their unique relationship with the Supreme Lord because the Lord is present within everyone's heart. To not only understand this theoretically, but to practice this in truth in all aspects of one's life is what it means to have realized knowledge. It is practical. It's not just philosophy. It is a way of being in relationship with all aspects of creation. So Prabhupada explains that when a person sees with equal vision, then they are perfectly learned. As long as a person is thinking, 
my Hinduism is better than your Mohammedism, or thinks my Mohammedism is better than your Hinduism, or my Christianity is better than your Judaism, or Buddhism is better than your, my, my Buddhism is better than your Christianity. Staying on the, mon is, is keeping a person on the mundane religious platform. Then they are still envious of the Lord who resides in their own heart and the hearts of all others. And that is what is going on in this material world. This envious mentality that I am better than you is what keeps people fighting in the material world. This notion that I am right and we are right. This, this word, we are right, is a good acronym for war. We are right. That's why people are fighting. It's a separatist view. And Srila Prabhupada said that when we see anything separately from Krishna, then we are separatists. Because Krishna is within everything, and everything is within Krishna. And when we can live out this one truth, then we become realized souls. This is the eternal religion, that Krishna is within everyone and everything. And that's why Srila Prabhupada didn't like it. We, although we are under the umbrella of Hinduism, he didn't like us to say that we were Hindus, because Vaishnava is transcendent to religion. We are, we are not, uh, this understanding is not uh, based on religion. It's the realization that we're not the body, we're spiritual beings. And a person can realize that no matter what narrative or religion that they profess to believe in. Now, Rupa Goswami says, becoming truly Krishna consciousness in this world is very, very rare. But if we want to purchase it, we must do it at any cost. And he explains that the price of becoming authentically Krishna conscious is tatra laoyam ekalam mulyam. We must be very, very eager to have it. We simply have to desire it. But he explains, although it is a simple concept, it's not easy. Pure devotional service and Krishna consciousness cannot be had even by performing pious activities for hundreds and thousands of years. It can be attained only by paying one price, and that is intense, intense greed to obtain it. If it is available somewhere, one must purchase it without delay. First, a person has to become pious, which means to become situated in the mode of goodness by practicing the regulative principles of freedom. No meat, fish, and egg eating, no illicit sex, no intoxication, and no gambling. And Rupa Goswami says that if we want to develop bhakti, unconditional love for God, we must accept the guidance of a person who has unconditional love for God themselves, and they will show us the way how to get Krishna's mercy. So I'm going to stop here. Thank you very much. Are there any comments, reflections, questions? This is your moment to tell me what you heard. <laughs> that was a lot of information. Yeah, Haribo. <laughs> Not, not being envious is the first stage of Krishna consciousness, our advancement in Krishna consciousness. So can you, it's very difficult to digest. Well, it's the first symptom, I guess, of being Krishna conscious. That's, that's the first thing we have to practice, you know, is that we're not this bodies, we are spiritual beings. And if I'm a spiritual being and you're a spiritual being, then we're not relating on a bodily level. When I look at you, I'm not seeing your body or your your gender or your race or your ethnicity, I'm seeing you as part and parcel of Krishna. And when we can do that, it's a practice, you know, we have to remind ourselves, you know, I'm not my body, I'm a spiritual being. And so all of the, all of the, uh, 
conditions we put on ourselves, on the judgments we put on others are irrelevant because the fact is, is you're a spiritual being in a material body having a material experience. So it's a practice, but also it's a symptom. As a person advances, it becomes apparent that they start to relate to people equally with respect rather than in class or, or body, body concepts of life, you know, isms, socialism, communism, religionism. Um, all those things. So you just have to, it's a question of just realizing it and practicing it until you get it, you know, fake it till you make it. Try to fake. Does that make sense? Yeah? Is it hard to do? Seeing everyone as a soul is little beyond the, you know, going overhead. <laughs> and what is your challenge in, in doing that? What would you say is the, is the obstacle? Because always we, I feel, you know, the discrimination or judging is always there to avoid uh, favorable people or, you know, you also want to meet and associate and, you know, do with... Yeah. So it's like, you know, <laughs> to come to that platform is little, um, uh, I would say, a lot of purification or something required. Well, it, having judgment, a good judgment, you know, is a, is a quality we all want, discernment, you know. We have to discriminate, obviously. Prabhupada said, you know, if you see a tiger on the path, you don't just go down there thinking, oh, he's a spiritual soul. You have to use intelligence. That would be dangerous for you to do. So, but when we, when we um, withhold our love and care of someone because we judge them as being less than or not worthy of our compassion, then that becomes a problem in our devotional life. And obviously, when we're in a community of devotees, we have a congregation, there's certain etiquettes, you know, that we need to be aware of so that we are respectful and we are not offensive. But when we use those, those etiquettes as a way to uh, hurt people, to keep people out, uh, then it, it's toxic. And this is a kind of envy that becomes envy. So this is why envy can be used in Krishna service if we can start to see, ah, that person does better than me. I can learn from them, you know, and then it's no longer really envy. It's a purified state of recognizing, ah, yeah, I could do a little better at that. You know, they're doing well in that thing. But an envious person's like really upset when someone else excels in spiritual life or material life. That's the difference. It's just a consciousness shift. Yeah. Any other uh, feedback? Oh, Shavia. Hare Krishna Mataji. Thank you for the nice class. In this text, we see how um, Kashyava Muni says to Diti to not cut her nails and, hand up and perform other austerities. But isn't that's not devotional service. So what I mean is like he never told her to chant the Krishna Mahamantra. So how come Diti gets purified and her sons like become devotees? Well, we don't know. This is a pretty. This is a pretty general instruction. You know, he was he was guiding her, and Prabhupada interpreted um, this process of devotional service that's outlined by Rupa Goswami was in the 15th century. But this story is thousands of years old, right? So, in different yugas, there's different purifying methods that help us perceive the Lord in our heart and the Lord of others. So it's not specifically said, now you should chant Hare Krishna, but Prabhupada described the, the Vaishnava practices as devotional. You know, it's, it's the pathway to cultivate that awareness that we are 
in God and God is in us. So he may not have specifically said that. But in other places, if you read the purports in other places, Prabhupada specifically will say that by chanting the holy name, especially if we're thinking in terms of the lineage of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the instruction of Narada Muni that has come down through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to us, but also came down to Prahlad Maharaj because Prahlad was uh, uh, instructed by Narada Muni thousands of years ago. So the cutting of nails and hair, I think we have to think in terms of just being internally and externally clean. I mean, you can cut your nails on other days besides Saturday. I don't think about it at all, whether, oh gosh, I should do it on Saturday. You know, I don't, don't think about that. That's to me not so important. Prabhupada said elsewhere that the Hare Krishna mantra is so powerful and purifying that even if you don't take bath, because sometimes people in Parikram, they have to sleep under trees and there may, may not be in a desert uh, a place to take a proper bath. But just by chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra, one becomes purified. So I think Lord Chaitanya gave us a reform of some of those or an update of some of those ancient traditions. Does that make sense? Yeah. Other reflections? Haribo. Do you have a thought? Yeah. Hare Krishna Mataji, thank you for the lecture, it was amazing. So I just wanted you to elaborate on uh, envy. Uh, you just made some intriguing points, so just wanted, uh, I know you have uh, talked a lot about it, just wanted you to... Uh, you talk, talk more about again. envy. Yeah. Well, we talked a lot about envy right now, yeah, gosh, what more can I say? <laughs> a little bit of, um, you know, if you can uh, re restate that. Restate all yeah. of it. Oh gosh, I'm you know I'm a, li a little bit on. I'm almost seventy years old. Old people don't remember things. What they said in the last five minutes. <laughs> I, I missed out. I should have written. I started taking notes later. Okay. Well, well, basically, envy is is defined as wanting what other people have. It may not just be material possessions, but it may be that you uh, you feel envious or jealous that someone is more spiritually knowledgeable, or maybe they're more beautiful than you, or they're more strong than you, or more renounced. This is how we envy not only other people, but the Lord who's in our heart. Because in, in uh, the, the Vaishnava tradition, we identify that Krishna is Bhagavan. He's the reservoir of all opulences. So there's six, you know, all wealth, all beauty, all strength, all fame, all renunciation, and all, what did I miss, knowledge? And so if we understand that the Lord is in our own heart, then we also don't have to be envious of you because we also have the potential to have all those things too. Because God is the, the reservoir. He's the source of all wealth, all beauty, and those kinds of things. So you may have seen, and I have seen in my Krishna conscious career, that even a person who is so-called materially ugly when they are touched by Krishna and they become Krishna conscious, they become beautiful because of their spiritual uh, demeanor. So all those things, you may not have uh, wealth yourself, you may not go to work and, and derive a lot of wealth, like Srila Prabhupada, he started this movement with $7 and a couple of books. But by the time he left this body, he had hundreds of temples all over the world and hundreds of cars and and he didn't, he didn't possess it. And people were envious of that, thinking, oh, look at you, you're supposed to be a sannyasi and renounce, but you have all these opulences. 
but because he used everything for Krishna, Krishna gave him more. And that's the open secret. The more we serve Krishna, the more he gives to us. So if you want love, you have to give it first. But envious people are always trying to grab something. If you want food, you distribute. This is why this Melbourne temple is going to be so blessed if there's a crisis because they distribute so much food. They will never be hungry because when you give food, you will always be, have food. Even when the whole world is starving, we will have food. I guarantee it. By, by law of karma, there's a law of reciprocity. So whatever you want for yourself, first give it to others. If you want people to care about you, first care about others. If you want to um, feel like you belong, help other people feel like they belong too. Does that make sense? It's a, kind of a secret, because envious people are grabbing. Oh, they're grabbing for me. Any thoughts? Any other <gasps> wisdom? Give us some wisdom. Nothing? Nope. It's just um, anything? Thought? Reflection? No, I'm not a mandri. was also trying to analyze because you said you define envy as a painful awareness of some somebody having something that you want to so a pain there so but rationalizing that emotions um, you also that the awareness of you can get it as well you first deserve then you can get it so but how how come out from that because we don't want to get entangled with more achieving more or the satisfaction of our material desires because envy is because material desires coming out from that and center in Krishna, satisfying Krishna's desire focus on that so help us to eradicate those material desires and by consequence of that not feeling envy so the idea to emphasize in our experience, daily life experience, trying to satisfy Krishna's desire as a, a permanent <coughs> solution <coughs> for envy and the consequence of that. So my question would be, what can facilitate in my uh, daily ac activities that awareness that if I just focus on Krishna's uh, desires, trying to fulfill that, will be everything okay, in a practical way. Yeah, just that's a good question. And so what I said there about um, I, a first desire and then deserve, the, the notion that, okay, I might be just starting my spiritual life now. Some other people have been practicing for 50 years or hundreds of years. Maybe they started last lifetime and they're, even at birth, they take birth in a, a situation where devotional life is, is uh, introduced as babies, you know, or even in the womb. And so they've kind of got a head start maybe than we did. I wasn't born myself uh, to parents who were Krishna devotees. But having faith that if we are faithful to the process, that over time, everything will come. Everything will come. Either our desires will be fulfilled whether they are material or spiritual. And it says in the Bhagavatam, whether you have spiritual desire or material desire, serve anyway. And gradually, we'll, all those material desires will go away, as in the case of, of uh, uh, this case of this story, and also the case of Dhruva Maharaj, who went and fasted and 
chanted Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya because he wanted to uh, punish his father for uh, hurting his feelings. But in the end, Vishnu came and he got to see Krishna face to face and he lost all desire. So it's really about having faith and remembering that, okay, so maybe I'm in a bit of a mess now. My life is a little confused. But we have to have faith that if we continue walking in the right direction, then everything will come around right in the end. It, the, the things that look to be like they're a curse become blessings. In the case of Indra, you know, he, he was blessed even though that he had been uh, pursued. His, his death was wanted by Didi. So, does that make sense? Yeah? Okay, so I guess it's time. Sita Prabhupada Ki Jai.